0: Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their story and adversity that each one of us experience to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners, welcome to this week's episode. Today, I know I say this all the time, I have a very special guest and I mean it this time for real, okay? Every single guest that I have is a really special guest because they take their time, their special time that they have to talk to us and inspire us about their journey in life and provide transferable skills on how we can level up our life. Welcome to Level Up, Dr. Austin. Please introduce yourself to my listeners.
1: I'm Dr. Chaz Austin. It's a pleasure to be with you, Dr. Leland. I do two things. I coach leaders to be more humanistic in their approach to their staff. And I also work with people in the very chaotic workplace now in the gig economy to help them to define and to articulate and sell their own brands. So I'm kind of in the middle, helping employers understand workers better and having workers understand the marketplace and being compassionate about what bosses may have to go through.
0: Awesome. I'm going to have to ask you this (laughs) to reflect the last, I'd say, Two decades, 20 years of your life until today.
1: You want me to go and look at the last 20 years of my life?
0: Yeah. How did you get here?
1: Teaching was not, I'm a college professor like you have been for about 20 years. You you picked a a wonderful time frame. (laughs) I've been a college professor about 20 years. I never... Plan to teach. It was never on my radar, not something I was ever interested in. About 20 years ago, I was contacted, I live in Los Angeles, was contacted by UCLA Extension, um, and they said, would you like to teach? Okay, I'll give it a shot. And I remember the first time I did it and I fell in love with teaching and what I could do for other people, how I can impact their lives and help them and listen to what they needed and try to deliver that. And I started, I became a college professor. Not something I ever intended, sort of fell into it, and taught, in my career, I've taught over 60 courses, not just classes, courses, everything from the history of rock and roll to criminology, but mainly focused on business and communication. And what I found in teaching was there was a huge gap between, and you understand this, working at universities, as you have as a dean, There's a huge gap between what's taught in college and university and then what the working world needs. So people get degrees and now enormous debt, and then they fall off a cliff. I I graduated, I have a piece of paper, I have a degree, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know how to get a job. So I saw a real niche there and started focusing on that and have offered a couple of books, um, have three courses on LinkedIn Learning, Um, on how to find, keep, and leave a job, Uh, to do individual coaching and teaching uh, based on my books where I train people, and I call it a training, um, on how to navigate what's now the gig economy.
0: Yeah, that's very big now, especially with, you know, people quitting their jobs, especially teachers during COVID. And rightly so. There's if it's not the shooting in the high school, it's the COVID getting you or the policies that's getting stricter. I have a lot of friends in the K to 12 and they're feeling the heat and some of them just right out quit, you know? Um so that's kind of the hardest. So I'm glad that you found that niche. I too saw that and I just started up a couple months ago, Level Up Academy teaching and training like you said training because the theory is great that's what you do in college but then when you go to work you're like uh it's not multiple choice what do i do you know like it's not a b and c so we need to teach people transferable skills that you can actually use at work rather than just like okay now i know this what am i going to do with this these are just Mm -hmm. the tools and so learning how to do is what i also do so Perfect timing. Now, you said you taught a lot in business and communications. What are some of the tips that you can provide even for the gig economy right now? Like, what are the traits and skills that they need to actually get going with that?
1: Interestingly, I use a SWOT analysis when I work with individuals, either coaching one-on-one, which I do all over the world, or in classes. So the SWOT analysis is generally used for business, but my contention is that essentially if you're a freelancer, which most people are becoming now, like it or not, you're essentially your own business. So a SWOT analysis is appropriate. So it's strengths, and used to be called weaknesses, I changed it to what's missing. Um, so you start, want to start listing what strengths you have, and the strengths are what people will pay for. So it's a it's a different mindset. It's thinking of yourself as a business, not I'm a really nice person and I get along with people. That's not in a job description. What specific things? What languages? What software programs? What proven experience do you have? People will pay for you're a business. Okay, who would be interested? We're not looking for fans. We're looking for money. Yes. What's missing is, for example, let's say someone wants to be a nurse. What's missing is they don't have an RN. So their job is to get the RN and move what's missing into a strength. So now, once they have the RN, hospital will now talk with them and consider them for a job as a nurse. Um, no matter how much experience they may have as in working in a hospital in some capacity, without the RN, they're not going to talk to you. They're not going to interview you. I had the same experience myself. I wanted to teach at the university level. They wouldn't talk to me without a doctorate. So I got a doctorate. And that moved me from, that moved that from what's missing to that I started teaching at the university level, at Chapman University, at Loyola Marymount University. So when you write this down, whether it's on a computer screen or a piece of paper, there's no drama about it. You have a real sense of this is, this is what I offer that people will pay for. And if I add to that, if I upskill, yes, then I'll make more money. And now people have a very clear sense of what it is they need to do. And if I've always found this with all my clients and students. If you want it badly enough, you'll do what it takes. You'll create an urgency. Um, that, so that's this, the swap chart is four quadrants. That's the top two quadrants. The bottom two quadrants are opportunities and threats. And that's understanding the marketplace, uh, which is you may love doing something, but if no one's going to pay for it, that's called a hobby. For example, if you want to be a photographer, probably not the best time to do that because people take pictures on their phone and don't value photography the way they used to. So, you can look at that as a hobby and maybe you do something that's aligned to photography like getting an MFA and teaching photography and then you can do your own photography at night because that's what because your your work as a teacher um, teaching photography pays for pays for your time to be able to take shots at night and on the weekends. And if you sell them, great. And if you don't, that's great too. But you have to understand something, just because you love it, this is the uh, the old idea of, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Not necessarily. (laughs) I saw a great meme that said, I I read, do what you love and the money will follow. So uh, I drink tequila and eat tacos and I wait. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> you will be waiting for yeah. a long time <laughs> yeah,
1: really so you, you, start to, you start to look at, at life or your professional life as a business just like any real business would do what do I have what do I need and what's the marketplace like does it make sense for me to get a degree in X when there's no business there I want to be a coal miner bad time <laughs> think of something else okay like that
0: Awesome. So basically just looking at what is out there rather than what is passionate in your burning desire to get, right? That makes sense. Um, I, yeah. I, I, uh,
1: uh, I created a term, I believe, called monetizable passion. Ooh. Okay, so it so you start with what's in your heart, what you really need to do. I have to do this. I'm it's my destiny, I have to do this. And then you look at the marketplace and say, you know what? I can't make a living doing that, okay? I can still find, for example, let's say you like to skydive, okay? No one's going to pay you to skydive that will pay your bills. But you do something perhaps aligned to that, so every year you take off two weeks and you go somewhere else in the world and go skydive, and then you, you get your jollies off of being able to do that. So it's connecting your passion with what's monetizable about it in the marketplace because you and this is a revelation for a lot of my clients and students you may love doing something um and it's okay to do that but it's just not going to be a career activity and it's oh i never never thought of it that way so much of what i do is contextual that people over and over again i never thought of it that way and they all the other thing they always say is you're once they finish working with me, your, your, your voice is in my head. I always hear you encouraging me. And that's a nice feeling.
0: Yeah, I love that. End result, you just want to make that impact. And hopefully, you know, our kids don't listen to us. But then when they leave and they have their own children, you're like, Ma, really this happened to me? You know, and you were like, I never thought you were actually listening. That's what my mom used to say. Like, yeah, I think you're,
1: you're planting seeds. Yeah sometimes it's not going to hit them right then. I've taught courses in culture, and I've turned students on to Miles Davis, Yes, college students, and Miles Davis means nothing to them. I said, you need to know about this man, because he's had an impact on music for well over 50 years. There's something there. So it may not mean anything to you now, but someday you'll be in your studio painting and you'll turn on Miles Davis and go, oh, now I get it. OK, now I understand. So I'm willing to do that. Sometimes it's it's a wash. They're not going to use it now, but they know about it and
0: they may use it in the future. Yeah, it's just all about giving the tools. Now, what does leadership look like to you? I'm sure you've looked at and also worked with a lot of leaders out there, right? Entrepreneurs in the gig economy. We're all entrepreneurs. What do you think is the difference between someone who's actually successful at their job and someone who's like, eh, kind of neutral when it comes to leadership?
1: Number of factors, sometimes outside the purview of the leader or the individual as a leader, there are market forces that you can be doing a fabulous job and the company gets sold. And thank you for sharing. Don't let the door hit you in the butt (laughs) on the way out. Okay. But if there's some stability in in your workplace and you can actually manifest the things you believe in, I I quote something from uh, something I wrote called How to Lead and Manage People. uh, My philosophy about leadership, and it's very simple, a great leader is a gardener. He or she creates a safe environment for their people and protects and nurtures that environment so they can grow and flourish. That's my definition of leadership that uh, you're effective if you create a safe space for for your staff and hire good people and listen to them, okay? Because you don't know anything. I know you're the boss, but you don't know everything. Uh -uh. Steve Jobs said you want to hire people smarter than you. But the other part of it is you've got to listen to them and be humble about, hey, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. Let's do that. Yes? So that you have an environment where people feel safe to come to you with outrageous ideas that... You hadn't thought of, and it's like, wow, that's really great. That's wonderful. So many, so many times, leaders say, "Well, my door is always open." So you walk in um, with a great idea, and you walk out like a flat tire because really, what they're about is, I'm going to tell you, I'm in charge, and you do what I say. That's 20th century leadership. 21st century, you want to hire great people and make it so it's a, a cool place for them to work, and that they feel they're. They're being listened to, heard, and that they can contribute. And and you do you do well by doing good, you do good by doing well. You create that and hopefully you have the structure around you in the company that supports that. And you keep doing better and better. And people really enjoy working for you and then you attract more good people.
0: That's true. It's a lot of work, right? Just like gardening. I cannot, for the love of me do gardening. I do not have green. I kill cactuses. I'm a serial murderer of plants. That's for sure. I can't do it. My daughter, my mother, my grandmother. Oh yeah, you could have a whole jungle in my house. Me? Not so much. I can't. I I, I'm just not a green thumb, but it's just I always I'm fascinated with people when it comes to leadership because we really do need good leaders. Like for example, before this conversation's been recorded, we talked about the current status of Twitter and Meta, and you know those two are two different leaders. Like which one do you think would be better than the other, or are they the same? Right, I mean, they both fired people right now or let go people. What kind of leadership are we looking at now in 2023?
1: Yeah, the, it it doesn't show a great deal of respect or consideration for the people who have busted their hump for you and been dedicated and stayed at the office and worked weekends and worked sick and so on. That's part of the problem. Is um, a lot of a lot of states or there's no union. There's no protection for the workers. It's an at will state, which means they can fire you for any reason. So I have to deal with this with my clients and, and my students where I was loyal to my company for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in some cases, and they moved or they merged or or they bought somebody bought them out. And and I'm what do I do now? I'm out of work. I've never written a resume. I have no idea. I'm completely lost. I put in all this time and all this effort and dedication to the company. I was so loyal, and they don't care. And I have to sober them up and say, that's right, they don't care. It's all about putting money in the CEO's pocket. And the most expensive thing in any organization is labor. So if they can get rid of you and replace you with a robot or somebody in another country who works cheaper, or somebody younger who works cheaper, you're out. Thanks very much. Bye. And workers need protection. Mm. So that's the one side. The other side is I train leaders to be more compassionate about the value that people add to their companies and how you want to nurture that and take care of it and encourage it and inspire it because those people will go to the mat for you. The the first part of my, uh, my piece on how to lead and manage people says there are two kinds of bosses, the kind you want to kill and the kind you'd kill for you want to be the kind of boss that people would, would kill for. And you do anything for that boss because they listen to you, they appreciate you, and you're valued.
0: Yeah, I just think that more more companies nowadays are about profit and not people. Um, what really broke my heart is when I was listening to the news saying that they have people. I think th- three quarters. It's a seventy five percent of the international workers right now in the tech industry is coming from India. Some of them are here already 10, 10 years, right? They have their kids, their wife, and everything. And because they're getting let go, they literally have I think two weeks, something like that, to uh, put their life together and exit the country. And so they have to pull off their kids, they quit their uh, you know the spouse's job, and they have to move back to the country that they were, but they've been gone for 10 years because they're on an H1 visa or H1B visa. So that breaks my heart. I'm like, I can't like, I'm putting myself in that situation. I would like stress to the high heavens right now, if that's happens to me, right? Just because someone decided for you to like buy, you're not needed anymore.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's why I've been so successful and continue to be in training people how to market themselves because you can't trust the employer to care about you. They probably don't. I, I, I tell my clients, I say, if a company ever says to you we're a family, run away
0: because
1: <laughs> it's a lie. Yes, my family, if you commit murder and you go to prison, you're still part of the family. These companies, if the CEO can make a little extra on their bonus, they'll get rid of you without thinking twice. Yeah, look what look what Elon Musk did it at Twitter. Just gutted the company, fired half the staff. <clears throat> excuse me, and then and then brought some of them back. Oh, we did that too quickly. So, what are they? Chess pieces or human beings with families and lives? So, it's it's an awful situation. I agree with you, and it is heartbreaking for people. So the protection is don't expect the safe harbor of a of a company anymore like your parents or grandparents had. You're on your own. It's your network that's going to sustain you. And as you upskill and as you uh, offer more, you can always make money doing what you love or at least like, yes, and you don't have to worry about kissing up to some boss who the next day turns around and says, you know, I don't like you, you're out. And then you have no recourse.
0: No, and that is harsh, but that's the reality that we are facing today. Like my mom actually retired from Chevron as an executive for she's been with them for almost 40 years. My dad and my stepmom was in their company for over 30 years. And I don't think you'll see that anymore. People leave within 10 months and things like that. And I think it's wonderful that we have remote workforce because you can be here and your company could be somewhere else. But that comes with another issue as well. But what do you think leaders can do to promote success in their teams that you haven't said? Like, what kind of tips would you provide for your colleagues or even the the gig economy that you're saying? Hey, you know what? You need to kind of put like a garden, right? You need to nurture them. It's easy for people to say, nurture them. Like, what are the steps do you think? You said listening, right? Listen to them. If you ask questions, you said open door policy, but you're not listening to them. What kind of steps are other than just listening to to really get the leaders to say, hey, your people meet your company.
1: Great question. I, I would actually start with a leader has to know who they are, how they're wired. Yes? So it's therapy of some kind to understand what runs you as a human being, why you don't listen, why you listen but actually it's all about judgment and you're just waiting to put in your brilliant idea so you're not really listening so it's getting your ego out of the way Um, Mm. and uh, look you're the boss I understand that that's fine but you don't have to always remind me of that I understand that I have to please you yes but if you could relax a little have a little sense of humor about what you do have some compassion for what what I'm doing and how hard I'm working that I think that's the first step, that leaders have to understand themselves and they, they go through MBA programs and they learn about finance and they learn about marketing and they don't really learn about people. And that's the key issue. But it really is a self-awareness as a leader and understand that you don't have to constantly play boss and be an authoritarian, that I know I'm the boss, I'm cool with that. I don't have to sit at the head of the table. How do I make it so my staff, my employees, the people who report to me, give their all and know that I've got their back all the time? So I think that's really the first step.
0: Yeah, I like that, self-awareness, because even the greatest leader out there sometimes they're not self-aware. I know sometimes I'm not self-aware. So I always put the caveat of meeting. like, if I get in your nerves today, I just want to give you a heads up. Please forgive me. I'm just having a bad day usually because sometimes it's hard to be self-aware at all angles. But I think if your people know where your heart is and you're consistent with what you're giving back to the team, actually to the team, they will recognize that people are not stupid, they've played stupid sometimes, but they know exactly where you're heading with that. My other question is Have you seen, like, during the pandemic, right? COVID 19, do you think that COVID 19 has changed anyone's leadership style?
1: <sighs> not really. Quick answer not really. What we have now with Zoom. And working remotely is just a new set of tools, but human nature, I don't think, has changed a great deal. There's good and bad to Zoom and working remotely. The the negative part is you don't really get to connect with people in the same way as you do in person. Nothing's ever going to replace in person. So a lot of companies are eventually going to get to the hybrid model where, yeah, you can work at home a couple days a week, three days a week, but we need you in the office and we need you to interface with other people in the company. That's why I love teaching in person. There's great things about teaching on Zoom, for example. I can do one-on-one coaching with someone and I don't have to have a, another 20 people sitting around in the classroom. But what's missing is that In a classroom, and this also holds true for any kind of work environment, there's there's a collaboration when you're in the same room with people, and things happen that you would never have expected. That is missing when you're working remotely. It just just does not appear the same way. That's why you want to break bread with people. That's why you want to see them in person, because you never know what comes up, and there's a real chance for that happening when you're doing it live and in person. Hmm.
0: Okay. So that's just, it's just a change of like tools basically. And it is right. I I do. I prefer. Okay. <laughs> I quit being a dean on my first deanship because it was COVID and I had kids and my mom has lupus. Like I can't be in an environment where I have to do face to face. And I have done hybrid. I love face to face, but I don't like the commute. I live in San Diego. You know, you live in LA traffic. Oh, I can't stand it. Parking. I can't find parking. By the time I'm there, I'm stressed out before my class starts. And I'm like, I would rather be in Zoom. But you're right. Once in a while, I think a hybrid definitely is something that they should think about, not one or the other, but maybe both. But make it into an option right, for people and maybe just make one day mandatory or two days, but not like five days you have to be here or you can't be in this institution, which is craziness.
1: And I think people understand that, workers understand that, bosses need to understand that as well, yes, you, you presumably hire good people, you need to trust them they can work remotely and I like you in the office we'll, we'll make it work there too just a couple of days a week as you said because we need to sit and chat you know if you have lunch with someone things come up that never would have happened on a zoom call or a phone call or a texting or an email it's like oh I'm, since you mentioned that uh, I have somebody I want you to meet I had no idea it comes up when you're in person with people multiply that times 10 or 50 in a conference room or in the hallway of a company. And it's amazing what you can create with people. So I think eventually that's what we're going to get to. It's, it so Zoom's a great tool, but not all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I do like, uh, for some reason, I was re- resisting. I teach two and a half hours per class now live, but not through Zoom. It's through Adobe Connect. And actually, I like Adobe Connect because... Everyone can talk at the same time, just like Zoom, but then you could actually do more things with it, uh, more than Zoom. So Zoom has to, to get with the program on that one. But you're right. It's not the same as really meeting in person. Now, if you are going to be teaching a class today and it's all about the gig economy and it's all about giving them transferable skills, what would that be?
1: What would the class be? Yeah. I learned a lot teaching for two years on Zoom um, and improved as a teacher and improved the quality of my work. But um, the templates there, I've worked, been teaching for the adult education department at Los Angeles Pierce College for five and a half years. And the course has evolved, or courses, there are two courses, main courses I teach. The courses have evolved over time. I do surveys of students at the end, anonymous surveys, and, and we improve. And we're, I'm able to customize the course according to what the students need. So basically it's laying out the, the, the workplace the way it is now and how you're basically on your own. And it's very upsetting work for people. They don't want to hear this. They come in there, just get me a job. I don't do that. That's not what this course is about. It's very unusual and very difficult to describe. But let me explain where it's at, because you can't know where you're going until you know where you're at. Uh, Let me explain the nature of the the gig economy, and then we're going to look at developing your own brand and having you understand how much you offer and what people will pay for and the nature of the marketplace. And what you need to add to that, because you're always learning, they don't like that either a lot of them, I'm not <laughs> school. I got my degree, I'm always learning, and you're always upskilling and you're always improving. But eventually they take the attention off themselves and start to realize, I have a lot to offer to other people. Mm. And they need to know that. So I tell them, you need to get your own ego out of the way. Yes, whatever is making you fearful or whatever doubts you have, this isn't about you. This is about other people need what you've got, and your job is to get to them so they can say, I'm so glad you contacted us, or it's been a pleasure having you work with us for the last six months, and we look forward to the next year, whatever that happens to be. So your life has purpose and meaning, and it really is about contributing to other people. So you get your stuff out of the way, and you're there for others to be able to... Be of service and a contribution to
0: other people. I really love that. I think if all gig entrepreneur, gigapreneur I'm mean, gonna call them that, right? If they actually yeah. just think like that and not because most entrepreneurs is like when you ask them, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? I want to make money and I want to have a flexible schedule, not because they want to give back to their community and they're trying to solve a problem using their own skills, like that self-awareness we're talking about, right? And you're like... I, is-
1: have, I have college students who've said to me, I'll do anything for money. So I said, good, be a sex worker. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh well, then, then sell drugs. They don't pay tax. Oh, I would never... Oh, so it's not just about the money, is it? It's- yeah, and then they, and it grounds them. There's a great quote I, I love, Muhammad Ali, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Wow. It is being about service to others. Now, honestly, I hook them with the money. The first thing I do, in, one of the first things I do in the course, I put a big dollar sign on the, on the whiteboard and say this course is about making money. You want theory? You're in the wrong room. I don't do theory. This is all practical, useful, relevant information to help you make money. And a few years ago, one of the students caught me and said, this isn't just about making money, is it? I said, no, but that's what hooks (laughs) them. What it's about about is service and contribution. How can you take what you know and upskill and be a greater service to other people in whatever field you're in? That's what it's really about. And if you're you're doing it right, you will make money. So I tell people, I, I want you to have the kind of career I have where you do work that you love it makes a real impact on people, and you make a lot of money. That's a career, yes. And it took me a long time to get there, but I did. So again, I can inspire them. I was, you know, my, I'm the first person from my family to go to college. Yes, my parents were immigrants. I'm first generation, and my parents. This this happens to a lot of people. They're not encouraged. My parents thought I was dumb. I lived. I grew up in Manhattan. And I, they have special high schools there that you have to take special tests for. And one of them was the High School of Music and Art. And I took the test and I got in. And I called my mother and I said, I got in. And she said, you did? Like, they're taking idiots this week? Oh,
0: my God.
1: They died when I was a teenager. They, oh, they, so if they saw me now, they would say, what happened to our son? He has, he's a professor. He's got a doctorate. He's a published author. What, what, excuse me? So you can, you can go beyond your upbringing, but it really means if you don't have it from your family, you, get people, you create your family of people around you to encourage you, not in a false way, not you're the greatest human being that ever lived, but you have specific skills that you know that you've written down, and you're upskilling, and you're improving all the time, and learning more, and offering more, and people need you. And you start to buy into that. Yes, people in the field I work in, people do need me. I can make a difference. I can make an impact. And eventually I can inspire other people.
0: Such an amazing story. I love it. I think, yeah, I'm an immigrant. I came here and I didn't know how to speak English either. (laughs) Yeah, that took a while. And uh, that's how I feel like, you know, you have to believe in yourself because no one will. Right? No one will.
1: But you want people around you who will reflect that. Yep. When, when you're feeling down to remind you of how great you are. Yes? Because so, uh, we're human. Sometimes you. my, my wife's a um, therapist, and there's a great line therapists use about getting in your head. It, the line is, don't go there alone. It's a dangerous place. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what we do as humans is we oh. think negatively. It's just, that's just how we're wired. So yep. you want people around to, to remind you how great you are and keep pushing through. That's So you create your own family, your own support group, that's, which is true of networking in the yep. modern age and social media, people who remind you, you're terrific, and we need you. And when I have a referral, I'm so glad that we had lunch yesterday because
0: I thought of somebody I'm going to refer you to and there's more work for you. That is amazing, ta-da! <laughs> I love it, I love it. We could be talking all day here. I do want to end and I wanted to end with this and I, most of my interview ends with this really, is that I, I was part of NSLS or leadership and there was an interview of the Holiness Dalai Lama and he said, change begins within you. Use compassion to change your world and ultimately our world. So how do you hope to change the world, Dr. Austin?
1: Great story that I love, the starfish story where uh, a man's walking on a beach and a few hundred yards away, he sees a woman bending down and throwing stuff into the ocean. And he he comes up to her and said, what are you doing? She said, well, these are starfish and they're crawling on the sand and if they don't get back in the water they're gonna die and he laughs and he said there's millions of starfish in the world how are you gonna make a difference? so she picks a starfish up, throws it back in the ocean and says I made a difference for that one and that's my life I'm not gonna change the world on a macro level but one individual at a time, one person I coach, one student I get to change that and that ripples out and that's the best I can do And that's fine for me because I know what kind of a difference I've made for people over the years. And I continue to do that. And it's it's a pleasure and a joy. And it gives my life purpose and meaning.
0: I love it and this is going to the world so you're making a difference in the ripple effect and thank you so much for inspiring the world inspiring everyone daily in your community because we need people like you to partner up to level up people's lives right sometimes like you said we're human being and we have downtime and we have doubts and we have negativity coming to me it's like for me i get depressed if i have i'm going through something And, and I just sit there and I'm not busy. So an idle mind, I feel like it's a devil's playground. I just, if I just sit here and dwell on my issue, instead of being productive, I will go somewhere else that no one can shovel me out, you know, Mm -hmm. so I just keep going and hoping that I'm making a difference in one person's life today. Right. And you made a difference on my life today. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It was really a pleasure talking with you. great questions. And, and I, your energy is, is infectious.
0: Thank it's- you. I, I, I tried, that's all I can do. Right. It's try. It works. <laughs> it works. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua at level up by docleland.com. Lua, L-U-A-B-Y-D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D.com. It's open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in my next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.